so content distribution is essentially the idea that for most brands, for most organizations, the life cycle of a new piece of content ends the day they press publish. But in my opinion, that's just the beginning of the life cycle. And I think that the organizations that have been the most successful with content marketing over the last few years have been those who embrace content distribution. Welcome to Top of Mind a show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become top of mind. Content is king. Content is king is likely a quote that you've heard thrown around at a meeting when the topic inevitably turns towards, all right, so what's our marketing strategy? But the fact that you're nodding your head right now is a testament to just how many other people there are in the world who have the exact same strategy as you. Content might be king, but as the total volume of new blog posts, webinars, and white papers grows every single day, there's just more and more junk that your customers need to wade through before they even get to you. But don't worry, because my guest today is going to help us to understand that content can still be king as long as you do it with distribution in mind. My guest today is the author of Stand Out, as well as the founder of Foundation Marketing, a B2B content marketing agency. Joining me live tonight is Ross Simmons. Thanks a lot, Ross. Thanks for having me on, Stuart. I'm excited to chat with you today. Let's, uh, let's get into it. Yeah. Well, well, hold on. Before we do, I do want to thank <laughs> you because as I was uh, researching you a little bit this afternoon, I was on your Twitter and read the one that you sent out that said, friendly reminder, sit up and drink some water. Yes. <laughs> and so I did that. I love it. Nice. Nice. <laughs> I'm saving the world one tweet at a time. That's my goal. That's my goal. Everybody's going to posture and be well hydrated. <laughs> what prompted that? Was that something you try and remind yourself often? Yeah. So you, have you ever been on your computer and the screen gets really dark and then you can see the reflection of yourself and you're like, wow, I look bad right now. That's essentially what happened. I had a reflection of myself and I was slouched over to the left and I realized I had three cups of coffee next to me that were empty. And I was like, oh, I need to stand up, sit up straight and probably get some water. <laughs> and then I essentially sent out the tweet to uh, remind folks because I think a lot of people are probably in the same situation as I was at that moment. Oh, yeah. And a lot of engagement. So I think it, it's a reality. So if you're listening to this and you are at your desk, sit up straight and press pause, go get some water and then come right back and uh, listen to a great episode. Yeah, you're going to want to be rehydrated for this one because we got a lot of good <laughs> stuff to cover. But I saw a meme recently and it was like a picture of uh, a shrimp. You know how shrimps have like their yeah. back is totally arched into their yeah. tail and it was just photoshopped on a gaming computer chair nice. saying like, why is my back always hurt? <laughs> Right, exactly. It's so true. That's, a, that's the key. Oh, that's Sweet. So before we dive into your mantra right now, which is embrace content distribution, right. I first want to lay a little bit of foundation for mm-hmm. how you see the current state of organic traffic and where you kind of see it moving in the future. And what, I, what I'm kind of hinting at here is the fact that Google and Wikipedia, yeah. whether we wanted them to or not, have really taken charge of... Yeah mining content and being really, really, really good at giving the answer. But it means that our blog posts that we spend hours creating 
are being ignored. Let's talk a little bit about that first. For sure. So I think this is one of the most um, dangerous elements of marketing today. And it's the power of sites like Google and Facebook in terms of us as marketers trying to reach our audience. Uh, When you look at Google and you look at its role in the customer journey for the past few decades, it's always been a portal. It's been a portal in which you go to Google, you ask it a question, and it will send you to a website that will give you the answer. But over the last five years, there's been a significant shift in the way in which Google adds value to the lives of people. Now, when you go to Google and you ask that question, what type of food should I eat for breakfast? Google's actually already scraped a famous recipe blog and has placed directly in the search engine results page the four best breakfasts that you can have. If you go to Google and you ask them, like, what is the current cases of coronavirus in my city? Google's actually answering that directly in the Google SERP. If you ask Google um, the answer to a question, whether it's just math or it's a basic uh, question about health, currently Google is taking information from people's sites and placing it directly in the search engine results page. And because of that, I believe truly that Google is no longer just a portal that will take individuals and send them to your website. It is becoming a destination. And that is something that organizations, brands, marketers, um, creators, anyone who is trying to tell stories and essentially connect with their customers need to be aware of. The same thing has happened on Facebook, right? Like I think Facebook played, in my opinion, one of the best bait and switches in marketing history. They told all marketers to pay to get a bunch of people to like you. If you want to connect with your audience, you need them to press like. So we spent thousands of dollars to get likes on our Facebook page. And now you have to pay to reach the people who like you right? It was the best bait and switch ever because now we are only reaching 20% of our followers and now you have to pay if you want to reach 100%. So they're able to get money on both ends of it. And I think at the core of this insight and this reality is this, these organizations don't really care about the marketers who are trying to get backlinks to their site, who are trying to update their their blog post to rank well. They don't care about your great growth hack with hashtags, etc., All they care about is shareholder value. And the way that they increase shareholder value is getting more people to pay for ads and them becoming a destination that people actually spend time on. So that's the reality of the world we live in. And I think it's pushing people down a path where distribution not only is important, but it's actually quite crucial if you want to survive long-term. Yeah, it's remarkable just being a user of these platforms and watching it evolve over time too. Like your user experience changes. And at first it's like, dribs and drabs and you're like, oh, it's weird. I haven't seen my favorite creator's content in a while. And then all of a sudden you just forget that they're there because there's a constant fire hose of new stuff that is categorically or visually or whatever their algorithm figures out similar that you just forget about it. Exactly. And I think that's a part of the game as well. Like they're constantly changing their algorithm to favor those who are essentially creating content that they want. So If you are not in that lane where you're creating content that is consistently engaging, consistently at the same level of quality as everyone else, you're very easily going to get overlooked and essentially the algorithm isn't going to work into your favor. Yeah. Yeah. No question. Another kind of point that is uh, tricky too is some of the things are are super tactical. Like they only work right, right now. These aren't yeah. long-term strategies because the change happens and they see yeah. that, oh, consumer behavior is going this direction. Let's start to monetize it. Like Facebook right. groups right now, as an example, I'm hearing from a lot yeah. of people that it's like super engaging and you can like get people to yeah. join yeah. your group. It's only a matter of time where they do the bait and hook with what 
groups exactly. are is what your Facebook page yeah. used to be. So all these right. private businesses have created like communities around the industry that they serve. It's only a matter yep. of time before they need to pay to have that even group notified that people have exactly or something. Yeah. And it is a con- continuous cycle, right? Like this is the cycle that constantly happens with the, with, with these types of platforms. And I think this is also why it's so important that first and foremost, as much as I I preach the story of having consistent and successful content distribution channels, like more than anything, you have to start by having the fundamentals taken care of. And I believe the two fundamentals for any brand trying to sell online today are having a website and having an email list. Those are the two things that you need to have. You need to be able to send people to something where they can learn about your story, learn about your product, and ideally get in touch with you if it requires a like actual conversation before they sell, or they can swipe their credit card and have a transaction happen on your website. You need to have that. In addition, I think it's important to have that email list where you can actually connect with people one-to-one on a regular basis. Because like you've said, if you build up that Facebook group, in the matter of seconds, Facebook could turn that group into something that you can't reach everyone. But if you have people's emails, you can still reach them long-term for a significant amount of time. One of the channels that I'm starting to test and I'm still playing with, but I think is also an interesting avenue, and it might become, in my mind, like the third horseman out of these things that you need to have, which is in your, your customer's phone. Right, like I've been thinking a lot about how I've probably had four emails over the course of my life, but I've had the same phone number for the last like 20 years. And I think that if you can get someone's phone number and you can start to connect with them via text message, that can also be a great distribution channel. It's something that I'm experimenting with in 2020. Um, I will report back in 2021 and <laughs> let you know how it goes. But I think website email list and SMS are probably, if I look forward, the three things that you kind of will need to have if you want that seamless uh, approach to get in front of your customers. And again, those are the fundamentals. When it comes to content distribution, there's so much more that you should do, but those are some things that I think are fundamental um, when it comes to just getting the house in order. Yeah, we'll we'll come back to SMS because I think that's an interesting discussion. But let's touch on distribution right now. Then, what what? How do you define distribution, and and then we can go from there. For sure. So, content distribution is essentially the idea that for most brands, for most organizations, the life cycle of a new piece of content ends the day they press publish. They press publish on a podcast, they press publish on a YouTube video, they press publish on a white paper, and they all give each other high fives. The Slack channels are going crazy. Everyone's sharing great, happy gifts. Everybody's raising the roof and ringing bells because they shipped something, they launched something. But in my opinion, that's just the beginning of the life cycle for that content. And that is the moment when all hands need to be on deck, finding ways to distribute that content into the channels where your audience is spending time. It could be taking an asset and sharing it in a subreddit on Reddit. It could be taking a content asset and answering questions on Quora that are relevant to it and including links to it. It could be going into LinkedIn and sharing it in different groups. It could be going into Facebook groups and sharing it in those groups. It could be going on your Instagram story and adding it to a link and saying, swipe up if you want to get access to it. The possibilities of content distribution are truly endless, especially when you consider online communities and forums, SMS, all of these different techniques techniques. But for some reason, so many organizations just press publish and they say that their job is done. And I think that the organizations that have been the most successful with content marketing over the last few years have been those who embrace content distribution. And there's two types. There's organic and there's paid, right? 
With organic content distribution, you invest with time and energy and sweat. But with paid distribution, you have the ability to reach people through Facebook advertising, LinkedIn advertising, in-mail, YouTube pre-roll, et cetera, sponsoring a podcast and having yourself talked about there. All of those things are paid distribution and they both have a role to play. I think that far too often, again, organizations, think that it's all about paid and that's all we should do. If you look back at 2008, when the financial crisis hit the world and we had a complete crisis in terms of the markets, the first thing that got scaled back was paid media. So if you want to be able to sustainably persist amongst chaos, you need to have your organic channels in as well kind of lined up and identified so you can weather any storm that may come your way. Yeah, I was kind of wondering about, as you're describing it, it sounds like it needs to be manual, right? Yeah, or you can pay to play and, and right. get your ads out there. And as we're recording this middle of May, 2020, online ads have never been cheaper because right. everyone's scared about marketing and, yeah. and they don't know what their future is going to look like. And so a lot of people are taking advantage of that and running yeah. ads that they haven't seen prices this low since like 2018 or something. Like right. That. It's wild. Yeah, yeah. it's wild. Yeah. And this is, that's consistent across all channels, right? Like if you, I just wanted to test and see what the price was to run a radio ad right now in my mind was blown by how cheap it is. Like really? everything is really cheap. Right how do they, now. how do they price radio ads per spot? So it was like, they were essentially saying like you could like get time, 30, how long? Yeah, yeah. 30 second spots. And they were saying essentially you could get like 10 of them for 90 bucks. And I was like, what? what? Yeah, it was crazy blows my mind. I don't understand how now I know why the industries are falling apart. But yeah, I was blown away by that number. Yeah, I think billboards would be a, a, a lousy investment right now with oh, 100%. lack of outdoor traffic. Yeah. But here's a hack. Here's a distribution hack that I think is the most value that you get out of a billboard is that you put up something that is entertaining and interesting. And it's not about people seeing the billboard. It's about people seeing a photo that you take of that billboard. And then you upload it to the internet and say, look at this hilarious billboard. And that's when traction really happens. I think that uh, a lot of people have a mis construed concept of how to do billboard marketing, right? It's all about getting that photo. The real life doesn't matter anymore. It's just about pixels. And if you can create a billboard that is worth submitting to a subreddit or getting submitted to um, a forum, that's where the goal mm-hmm. lies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting because it's a network effect. It's like if yeah. you, that billboard can only exist in one spot, but if right. you have one person take a picture of it, yeah. And then they post it and that one yeah. person shares it. Then all of a yep. sudden that billboard has now, the, the cost of that billboard has now been divided by exactly four all of the because it's, there's yeah. four billboards now and that can be right. an infinite number of billboards online for the same 100%. price. Yeah. I would take a picture of a billboard and actually run a sponsored ad promoting the photo of that right. billboard yeah. on social media. And I think that would do better than the actual billboards in its uh, original location. That'd be really interesting too if you had some type of a reason to be running a local ad, like a yeah. geographically local ad, where your right. all your online ad is is saying, "Hey, go check out this billboard at the corner of X and Y." True, true, exactly. Yeah, there's so many ways to do it. You just have to get creative with it, and that's kind of why I love content distribution. It's because you have to get creative if you want to be able to make this thing work for you. It is definitely difficult to scale, but there's a, a line that gets thrown around in the startup space often. It's like you have to do the things that don't scale if you want to be great. And I think that's the reality when it comes down to content distribution. You have to spend some time doing things that just don't scale. Okay. So let's let's 
kind of go through and you've got a whole checklist like this is not yeah. a it's an ever evolving list and it's and some channels will be less effective at certain times than others yeah. but let's just use an example say say this this episode we'll, we'll yeah. have a little bit of a conversation i can then turn that into a written post of some sort right what would be if it, if i'm a one person show and say i've got two i've got 2 hours right what would two hours where would your mind go? Because you can you can spend as much time as you want going into every yeah. single forum and, and spending as much time replying to Reddits. But how, sure. if, if you had two hours, what is some an angle that you would take that would give you the biggest bang for your buck? So I'm going to cheat a little bit. And the way I'm going to cheat is because I'm going to say the first thing you're going to do is transcribe the podcast. And that typically would take a lot of time. So to save you time, I would just use Google Docs and use their voice to speak, voice to text um, plugin. And I'd run voice to speech through Google Docs while playing a recording of the podcast and then just have Google write all of the text from this episode. And that would save me the 30 or 40 minutes that it would take for you to actually listen and write everything out. So that I'm would gonna, be the first well, hack. Right before now. you get too much momentum, I just want to one-up your hack. <laughs> okay, do it. The do editing it. software I use is called Descript. Okay. What I do, all I do before I edit this episode is I drag the MP4 file into it. It takes about a minute. It transcribes the entire conversation. And no then way. I edit it like a, like a Microsoft doc. I'm just going to uh, highlight that and click delete and it auto snaps the, the MP4 thing and I just export the audio see, and you yeah. can export the, the text file. See, that's even better. I love that. So that's, I would use that instead of my Google Doc hack because I Sorry. didn't know that you can, hack you, can, you, you can steal mine now. <laughs> yeah, you steal yours and I get my time back anyway. So once I had all of that text, I would start to look for key nuggets and I would probably use them as like post to share on Twitter, but I would also start to take some of those quotes and I'd turn them into graphics that could go out and be promoted on Instagram, on our social media channels. I'd make sure that if I was in your shoes, that I would share them with me and tell myself like, Hey Ross, I've included in here a format for LinkedIn, for Twitter, for Instagram stories, et cetera. Feel free to share them. And then you would get that network effect from just my network seeing it. I would then make sure sure that I took snippets from this episode and took actual audio clips, put the little wave on the clip, had a photo of myself, a photo of you, and then started to share those on social media as well, along with links. And that's content that you can repurpose and reuse consistently 365 days a year. So just by having those assets, you can continuously start to share them. And I would share them and spread them on all the different channels. In addition, I'd probably upload the full recording to YouTube. I'd make sure that I took that YouTube video after I uploaded it to YouTube and I would embed it in a blog post on my website, but I'd also write a quick blog post about this topic that we've discussed. And then I'd submit it to the most popular medium channel that I could find with a different title. I'd then take it and I'd copy and paste that same response or that same article as a Reddit post for the subreddit R Marketing and get their take on it with a link at the bottom so they don't think that it's a pure plug of the podcast. So Redditors don't like yell at you and try to like take your website down. I'd incorporate that at the bottom of the post saying, if you're interested in checking out the full episode, here's a link to it. At this point, we're probably about an hour and a half in and you've got 30 minutes to kind of continuously start promoting this thing. The way that I would do that is I'd find a few questions on Quora that are relevant to content distribution, answer those questions, and then 
try to get some people to upvote them that are in my circle. And then in the last 10 minutes that I had to distribute this content in this episode, I would start sending some DMs to some friends and some people who really love me and my work. And I would say, hey, check out this episode. Please retweet. I'd appreciate any likes, any engagement, et cetera. And by that time, you've probably reached a handful of new people that you never would have reached two hours before. Boom. Right there. That's it. That's amazing. <laughs> You've obviously done this before. Yeah, yeah. I have, yeah, 100%. But to to emphasize how important what you just said was, you've only named like you just gave most people would wouldn't do even a quarter yeah. of what you just described. Right. And you're only using like five channels from that 100%. example. There's like the yeah, podcast, like YouTube, in, blog, Reddit, yeah. Twitter. Right. There's at least 20 other channels where you yeah. do the exact same thing, right? Exactly. A hundred percent. And I think where people get messed up, and at least this is where I got messed up until I started reading your stuff and, and looking into more of the distribution side of it, not just the content creation, is right. that people think that every single thing right. they read online is like an original. Yeah. I had yeah. to sit down and the person has like, oh, okay, got to get my right. like, yeah. got to make sure I take a sip of water and sit exactly. up straight. Start something new. Right. And I'm going to be inspired and it's going to be something brand new. But this yeah. is like reformatting of the same material because right. not every single person who follows you is going to see every single post that you've ever made. No, exactly. And what's fascinating is how people have such a, a short-term perspective, right? Like the people who follow you today are not the same people who followed you three months ago right? Like Mm. ideally some new people have started to follow your journey. And for those people, it is completely brand new content. So when you put out something that was published six months ago to a significant portion of your audience, if you're doing things right and you're seeing new growth and you're seeing scale, a significant amount of your audience will never have seen that asset before. So that's new to them. So you want to have no shame in the idea of remixing old content and repurposing it for today's audience. Like that is the key um, to ensuring that your content strategy is actually scalable and effective long-term. And, and you use the term shame. Like, I think that is something yeah. that is a, a real fear that people have is they say, Oh, I don't yeah. want to be annoying. I don't want to be repetitive. Right, right. How do you, how do you think about that? Like, how do you get over that? It's a great question. So I think that is constantly the, the challenge that people face. Like, I think one of the biggest things that get in people's way is the fear of being judged by their colleagues, by people who follow them online, et cetera. The way that I got over it is by just understanding and realizing at the end of the day, when the mortgage hits the bank account, no one else is coming to save you. Like no one else is jumping up to say, I will pay for your bills. No one else is jumping up to say, I will cover your tab. That's not happening. I'm not, no one else is paying your payroll. So at the end of the day, you can use your feed however you want. And if somebody unfollows you, that's okay. It's okay. It's there's how many people in the world? Like six billion or something like that. Like I'm okay with one person unfollowing me when there's six when there's five point nine um, billion other people that I can attract, right? Like I think that's the key. People get too caught up in this idea that just one person unfollowing you is fatal. It's not, folks. Like sure, don't get me wrong. You can overdo it if you are constantly saying the exact same thing every tweet, every minute and you just don't understand the fundamentals of marketing and you're not doing those things correctly, I can get the behind the idea of, okay, you need to take a step back and truly understand the type of content your audience wants. But if you're adding value, 
do it consistently, do it aggressively, because there's nothing that can actually go wrong besides more people see your content. Um, and the people who do decide that they're going to unfollow you, just embrace the idea that, hey, maybe they weren't a good fit. Like maybe it wasn't, uh, your content wasn't right for them. That's okay. I just think we need to be go be easy on ourselves and not so hard on ourselves when it comes to being okay with the idea that some folks just might not want to see your content all the time. And that's okay. And as you said, this is your, your audience is going to evolve over time. Like we're yeah. only 20 years into right. internet at, at scale existing. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's going to look so different 20 years from now. So different. It, like it's an ever-changing channel. It's always changing. And I think there's actually a direct relationship with the, with the frequency of the content that you're putting out and the more likelihood that you're going to reach more people, right? Like if you are just sitting on your hands and you're afraid to publish new things and you are afraid to get critique, to get feedback, you're going to stay the same. And the world is always going to change. But if you are just sitting back and you're like, I'm not going to promote myself, I'm not going to promote my new ebook, I'm not going to promote my podcast, then you're just doing a disservice for yourself because at the end of the day, you'll never actually see how good you could have been had you gotten in front of more people. So I think that's the underlying factor that folks need to realize is just internalize and realize at the end of the day, you're only as good as your distribution strategy, right? Like if a tree falls down in the woods and nobody's around, does it matter? No. Similarly, if you put up a blog post or you put up an episode for your podcast and nobody hears it, doesn't matter. No, nobody listened to it. So it doesn't matter. You need to embrace the idea of distribution and doing it consistently because sure, you might have 10 people who are following you today and maybe one of them unfollow you, but because you were consistently promoting it, nine of those people gave you a retweet and then you got five new followers as a result of it. And now you're at 14. So that is the economically or the exponential growth that can happen when you're constantly putting out new content. It also puts you in opportunities to yeah. meet new people and, and get feedback that no one locally will give you face to face. Exactly. That's good or bad is, is, is up to you to kind of evolve and figure it out as well. Exactly. A hundred percent. How does that apply to in a B2B setting? Like what does yeah. that look like? Slightly different context because mm. you're, you are still marketing to an individual who is the decision yep. maker or the influencer or whatever, but they might not be spending their own money. They might have, they might uh, rationalize it a little bit more. Think about it. Yeah. There's budgets, there's timelines, blah, blah, blah. It's not sure. like someone can slap a credit card. What's, how do you think about it differently? Yeah. So when it comes to B2B, I think the decision around buying is oftentimes a little bit more complex just because there's way more stakeholders involved usually in a decision if the ticket price is significant. There are some products, some solutions in B2B that will sell for relatively low price points. And in those cases, it may not be that that complex and it's typically similar to the B2C type of approach. I think the biggest opportunity from a B2B lens that is often overlooked is leveraging insights from B2C and applying them to B2B because the B2B is oftentimes very slow at catching up with the trends while B2C moves very quickly. Mm. So if you are a B2B marketer, if you're in the world of B2B selling to other businesses, then I think you can gain a lot of inspiration from looking at your B2C counterparts and getting insight into what they're doing to drive results for you. As an example, we've recently started to run um, experiments with TikTok style videos that promote white papers, ebooks, and guides. So we are taking the, the way that people move and dance on TikTok, applying it to B2B audiences, sharing that content, and the engagement has been 
significant. Like we've been able to see some interesting results from this and we're just getting started with it. So I think for B2B marketers, like I'm not telling you go out and start trying TikTok. Like I'm a risky marketer. I'll do anything in that regards, but you need to be willing to take a little bit more inspiration from B2C and start thinking the way that they do. One thing that I love about B2C is like they go all in on launches when they're launching a new product. So their launches are kind of like the launch of an album. If you were Britney Spears, JLo, et cetera. And I think that in B2B, you can do the same thing when your product launches a new feature, celebrate it, sing it at the rooftop, pretend that you're supreme and make everybody wake up and listen to the fact that you just rolled out a new feature. I think that's an opportunity as well. Because again, like you think that your product is top of mind to your user every single day, right? when in reality, it might only get used once a week. Exactly. A hundred percent. And at the end of the day, you're still talking to people, right? Like whether you're B2B or you're B2C, you're still talking to a person. Sure. One of them may have access to more budget. One of them may wear a suit and one of them might be wearing um, a pair of Lulus. Like at the end of the day, you're still talking to a human and humans are still browsing Instagram. They're still browsing Reddit. Mm -hmm. They're still browsing Twitter. They're still browsing TikTok, et cetera. It's just what they do from nine to five that may be different. So if you can go to these channels that your audience is typically, or your competitors are typically ignoring, that's when opportunity lies, right? Like if you can go into these channels where your audience is spending time, you can reverse engineer the type of content that they actually engage with frequently and then apply it to your industry, you can unlock some massive opportunities. And ability to kind of transcend time and space and do yeah. like all be always in front of them, uh, whether exactly. they realize it or not. There was yeah. a really cool point you had in one of your blog posts I was reading. And obviously, it's not going to work right now with with lockdown. But when physical events start happening again, right. to to not spend the super inflated cost of sponsoring an event and hanging massive right. banners and putting out yeah. uh, postage and blah, 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 blah. But instead, to geofence an ad around yeah. the hotels that are near the, the event center where you're at, and then make it an ad about the event itself, and then saying exactly. like, "Download this white paper," or or ask ask the attendant at our desk right. for this to get the super discount. So you think about the individual who's at that event in their hotel room at the right. end of the day. And they're, they just got off the phone with their family and they're yeah. kind of like getting into bed and, and yeah. are on Instagram. They're yeah. still, they're, they're doing their personal stuff. But, but if an still, ad comes up, yeah. reminding them to go visit your booth the next day. Exactly. If they see your booth the next day, they'll be like, how do I? Oh, yeah. Right. Exactly. And what can be even better and more powerful is like I've run them when I'm speaking at an event and the ad is simply said, like, don't forget that I'm oh. on stage tomorrow in this room at this time. And it's a packed house. Does that work? Yeah. Say, packed house um, because people are seeing the ad and that's what I wanted. So you can leverage it that way. Another interesting way to do it is like you call out the company that you're trying to connect with. Like if you're going to a marketing event and there's one individual company that you're trying to connect with, create an asset that is for that company, tailored to that company. And then in your ad, say specifically, this asset breaks down how Microsoft is going to be able to unlock X, Y, and Z. And you only target people in that geolocation who work at Microsoft on wow. LinkedIn or on Facebook. And again, massive opportunity to connect with exactly who you want to reach. This is a bit of like the account-based marketing style where you're targeting organizations that are working 
holistically within a group. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, it's still content distribution. And like I said earlier, it's like, instead of always thinking that when you did publish that piece about Microsoft six months ago, that that was the end of your job, start thinking about how you can repurpose it, reuse it and remix it consistently in the future. So you can constantly stay in front of your audience. Love that. That's such a good idea. You've touched on it a couple of times, but the idea of remixing and you had another yeah. kind of like qu- quick quote in one of your blogs saying the origin of the term of a mixtape was right. uh, a musician would for for quick and cheap, get a whole bunch of new songs on a tape or on a CD and then yep. sell it at a super discount to yep. their loyal fans because they're the ones who are at the shows and they'd have like the merch table being like, here's a new mixtape. And they would use that as their test to say like which songs should be our singles and what what songs should we spend more effort on and then how do we form an album by quickly and cheaply getting this into our true fans' hands rather than like spending all this time to get a whole record done. So exactly, yeah. Do you have a do you have anything else to say about that? Because I think that's just such a cool analogy. Yeah. So like, I think a lot of organizations way too often are trying to release albums without actually knowing their audience and building up a strong relationship with them. So they're putting out these assets that are always behind like a gate. You have to tell us your name, your email, your phone number, what your company's name is, the budget that you have, who your ex-girlfriend is, et cetera. Like they're <laughs> asking for all of this information and they don't even have a relationship with you. Mm-hmm. You can build that relationship by instead of going right in for the album and trying to get album sales, by providing a whole bunch of mixtapes. And those mixtapes can be simply creating content in public that is available without any access to information. It's free webinars, it's free training, it's free blog posts, it's free YouTube videos, it's a YouTube series, it's a checklist. It's just having a great LinkedIn account or Twitter account with posts that are inspiring and engaging and having conversations with people. View all of those assets and things that you do on a regular basis for free as mixtapes. They're ways to build relationships with your audience and learn what type of content they want. Once you have enough insight into what they want and you have a strong relationship, that's when you release your album. And that's when you come to the market and you say, hey folks, now it's time to swipe your credit card and buy. But in this case, it's just giving them your email and your phone number, et cetera. Keeping with the music analogy, it still plays into the distribution thing. Like this is almost yes. like pre-distribution. Right. Then once you release the album, and this is this was described by a guest I had on this Cormac McGee. The example he gave was Post Malone is, is has a single and he's like telling yeah. everyone it's going to come out on this day. Right. Then three days before the single drops, they'll yeah. put out the inst- the audio only with right. just like right. a rotating GIF of like yeah. in this example is like a cigarette burning down to the base. Genius, genius. So now people have like heard the song, but. Right. Now the hype is about what's the music video going to look like. Right. And so three right. days later, the music video comes out and they'll right. listen to the exact same audio recording with yeah. a different visual. And then they're like, right. wow, that was amazing. Then so three wild. days later, the like street version comes out where it's just people right. on the street dancing yeah. to the exact same song. It's right? insane. It's wild. It's genius. It's genius. And I think there's so many insights that marketers can take from the music industry. So I'm going to check out that episode for sure, because I love that comparison. It, it makes complete sense. Yeah, absolutely. Repurposing is a word that's getting like really heavily yeah. used in the marketing world, yeah. but it's, it's, a t- tied in, it's a tried and true foundation that like the entire right. TV media, radio media, like it's all built yeah. on. 
It's true. Yeah. Like when you think about trailers before you go to a movie, when you think about the snippets that you see getting shared on YouTube, et cetera, like all of that stuff is just repurposing content. Like you take a big movie and then you find little pieces of it and that becomes your trailer. You then take the people who are in your movie, you send them on a road show where they're doing interviews and doing a tour, talking about the film, talking about the story, et cetera. That's like doing a essentially a podcast tour where you're going on a bunch of podcasts and talking about your product, et cetera. Like there's so many opportunities for marketers um, and brands in general to get their word out there by embracing this idea of content repurposing. But for for most part, a lot of people ignore it and they just focus on the creation side. Yeah. Whew. You got me excited. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Have you thought at all about, because you mentioned, you mentioned SMS, but another kind of like emerging channel with voice assistance. Have you given any thought to to what that might look like? Yeah, it's definitely one of the channels that are interesting. I haven't fully gone into it yet because I haven't seen adoption rates to a level in which I'm like, okay, I'm going to go all in on this thing. I do feel like it's a powerful opportunity, but I think we might be a few years out before it actually reaches its maturation. And there's other channels that I think would give the better ROI right now. I do think it's a powerful opportunity. I think in like 2025, it's going to be massive because I'm starting to see just from uh, the trends that I'm seeing in terms of behavioral trends amongst some younger folks, like they are using voice a lot more frequently, but I don't think it's something that the the vast majority of the population has kind of adopted at this point, but it, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. What are, what are some, some channels that you're, they're keeping an eye on right now? Yeah. So communities as a whole, I believe are starting to take off. And when I say communities, they can literally be almost anywhere. But I think especially right now, when more people are behind their keyboard and they're not able to come together in person uh, with quarantines around the globe, I think more and more people are going to, and I think this is going to be a trend that actually lasts even beyond COVID-19, like whether it's 2025, when somebody's listening to this or 2030, I think we're going to live in a world where online communities are are much more prevalent. That could be a Facebook group. It could be a Slack community. It could be in Discord. It could be a subreddit. It could be on Stack Exchange. It could be on Hacker News. It could be a various niche, very niche uh, website that is tailored around real estate, like bigger pockets, et cetera. Like there's so many of these niche communities that are starting to pop up where people come together with a very similar interest on a topic. I think that those are going to become extremely prevalent. They were very popular in the 90s. They were called forums. And for some reason, marketers think forums are dead. But marketers, guess what? Forums are very much alive. They just look a whole lot different than they did in the 90s. And I think that when you understand that and you start to go into these Facebook groups, there's tons of opportunity that exists within them. There's a Facebook group for pretty much every industry and every space that you can think of. I've been talking about Facebook groups for the last three years as being what I believe is going to be the best opportunity on Facebook because Facebook recently changed their motto and their mission to being the place where it connects the world. You cannot connect the world if everybody has a closed profile and you have to be their friend. The only way today that people can be connected with folks outside of their community and outside of their friends is through Facebook groups and on top of pages. And the only place that Facebook can actually make people feel like they're not just arguing with each other like they do on pages is in communities and in these groups. So I believe groups are without question out of all of the communities, the one that is probably the most relevant to most organizations because there's pretty much a 
Facebook group about everything. Whether you're talking about barbecue, you're talking about cars, you're talking about real estate, you're talking about SaaS, you're talking about baby shark. Like there is a Facebook group for everything. And I think Facebook groups is also like a massive opportunity from a distribution lens. So there's a few ways that you can use it. Like one, you go into these groups and you can start to seed your content in them or you can actually just reach out to the admin, the person who owns the group and ask them if you can sponsor their group. Like if it's small enough Mm. and you have the budget, sponsor the group. And then that group is now brought to you by your brand and your brand has the content that is now pinned in that group and you have direct access to that feed every single time you want. Sure, some people might leave the group and say, this group sold out to such and such a brand, but that's on you as the marketer to make sure that you can tell a story in a way that doesn't result in people leaving. Um, Like it's a a horrible situation. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, Just kind of coming to to a close here, I got a a question kind of rapid fire about you personally. For sure. What, What kind of content grabs your attention? Like what makes your thumb stop as you're ripping through a feed somewhere? Yeah. So if it's a business piece of content, I love research. Like research and data is without question. My number one, it's my kryptonite. If I see interesting data and interesting research being conducted, I'm going to click, I'm going to consume it. I'm going to read it. I'm going to obsess over it. Not only will I do that, I'll probably think about it and reverse engineer it to understand how they did the research and then try to do something myself in a similar lane. Like I just love research. Uh, The other type would just be sports content. Like I'm a big football fan. Um, I'm big. I'm a big nineties basketball fan. I haven't followed ball in a long time, but back in the day I followed it like quite a bit. Um, but now it's like, if I see an old, um, clip of somebody from the nineties playing ball, I'm probably going to watch it. Uh, and then modern football, I'm a, a big fan. I'll click on any of that all day. Right on. I'm new to the the Twitter game, but you've been at it for a while. What's the rule about retweeting your previous posts? Yeah. So <laughs> I've, I've seen people do it. And I'm just not sure what the, what the rule is, the unwritten rule. Good question. So the rule is that I follow anyway, as long as you're not retweeting the same tweet over and over and over again, it is completely fine to retweet an old post. And the reason why is at a certain point, you should have an audience that is made up of a wide range of different area codes and geographies. And what I have noticed is that while it is great that I put out a fire tweet at 8 a.m. my time, people in the West Coast are actually still asleep. And they're not going to see that tweet unless it gets a bunch of engagement, a bunch of replies, a bunch of tweets, uh, likes, etc. So retweeting that in the evening is completely okay. Another great time to retweet is when you're asleep because if people yell at you, you don't see it. Um, but, but that's that doesn't actually happen. People are uh, typically nice. And if you retweet your own post, the only bad thing that can happen is somebody unfollow you. And guess what? That's okay. Because that one retweet probably resulted in another retweet. So my tip when it does come to retweeting old posts, though, is don't retweet something that was trash, right? Like don't retweet a tweet that you shared. And again, no love, no comments, no engagement. You want to retweet content that hit and resonated with folks the first first time because it's probably going to resonate with folks who just happen to not be online the second time. Again, look to the music industry. That's called a greatest hits album. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's it. <laughs> just show your greatest hits every single time. That's it. Well, Gross, this has been awesome. You've uh, really shaped my thinking about how to make the most of this stuff, right? It's not going away. It's not. It's changing faster than we can. So all we can do is to really focus on putting it in front of the right people 
and yeah. being making it a real relationship and a real conversation and uh, good things will happen if you do that. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think that that's the key. You have to embrace content distribution. It's the the one piece that of the puzzle that, that is oftentimes overlooked. I've got tons of assets that are available for folks to check out. Check us out on YouTube. I have a bunch of YouTube videos that break down content distribution as well as a, a free content distribution checklist. And we have a course called Dream that I think folks should definitely check out as well that again, breaks down content distribution in a way that is easy to digest and also easy to apply to your industry regardless of your space and regardless of your background. Yeah, and that dream found or the dream framework is available at foundationinc.co slash dream. That's foundationinc.co slash dream. And I looked, I took a look at it before this, and it's just it's awesome. Like it, you just lay it out, just recipe book for how to do all the things you just described. So I appreciate that. Yeah, no, we try to make it simple for folks while also making sure that it's very tactical. Like I am all about getting into the weeds. And if you do check that out, feel free to send me an email or let me know if you have any questions. I'd be happy to answer any questions that folks have about the content distribution as well. Right on, Ross. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, then you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to topofmind.substack.com, and put in your email, you can get access to exclusive behind-the-scenes content inspired by this show. So there's going to be candid audio recordings that aren't going to be available anywhere else, not on Spotify, not on Apple, nowhere else except on topofmind.substack.com. But that's not it. It's also a platform where I can share written content, videos, links, and anything else that I come across directly with you. You're going to get access to it right away. You're going to get access to the whole library of archived posts. And you're also going to be the first to be notified when a new episode of Top of Mind comes out. So head on over to topofmind.substack.com. See you there. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button, you'll be added to an email list where I share exclusive content related to this show. This is where I'm going to share my key takeaways from each episode, including my highlights, top of mind takeaways, and next steps that you can do to put this advice to action. I also share some real-life breakdowns of marketing campaigns that I'm seeing around and how I'm using it in my work. So head on over to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button to get your first email. Looking forward to seeing you there.